Now I know who all the non-hunters are in the congregation. <laughs> well, there aren't too many of them, I don't think. I'm not hearing any real promising stories coming from up north either, from the guys who are away. A meatless winter as of right now. Unless you get a roadkill, right, Brandon? You find a good roadkill, you're in. <laughs> so did you come here to learn something today? I'm guessing that's why you're here, because you got a lot of other things you could be doing, especially this time of year, and you chose to come here. And God will bless that decision richly. And I thank you, our church thanks you, for being so committed and coming out every Sunday morning. We always start with an introduction and review. Last week was Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. The title was One in Christ. We spoke about God's multicultural heart, simply meaning God cares about all people groups. We trace the roots of and we explain God's purpose for forming the nation Israel. You can hear that on the podcast if you're interested at blesscolumbia.org. We're not going to go back into all of that information today. The main point, though, last week was that we would better grasp the heart of God, that we would know him somewhat better for being here last week. The heart of God for all people. The multicultural heart of God. All people groups, every race, every ethnic culture, all classes, all levels of education, all financial status are precious to God. Lost souls matter to God. God is not willing that any should perish. God is not willing that any should perish, even some folks that we don't really like. Did you know that? Some of those folks that you don't really like, God's not willing that any should perish. But here's the good news. Are you listening? Once they get saved you'll probably like them. Because when God saves you, he changes you. So instead of being angry and bitter and offend, holding offense or not talking to, avoiding what, all those things we do in our human nature, what if we start praying for the people that we don't really care for, that they would get saved? Then we can like them. This week, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 13, my reader, I think it's Jim Heckman, did you remember? Come on up, and we'll stand together. Everybody stand, we'll honor God's word together. Jim's going to read 13 verses, Ephesians 3, 1 through 13. Right into the mic, Jim. It needs to pick up your voice. Okay. This is from the NIV. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs according to Israel, members together of one body and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. 
I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. So today's title, The Cross and the Church. Do you ever read the book, The Cross and the Switchblade? Anybody ever read the book, The Cross and the Switchblade? A few old timers over there. It's a story of, a, I guess, a, a gang leader in New York City who, who gets saved. Nikki Cruz, I think, was the name. And as I titled this, I kept thinking, The Cross and the Switchblade. But it's not about a switchblade. It's about the cross and it's about the church. These passages in Ephesians, at first read, they are like so far until you really start to dig and get below the surface, and then you begin to see some things in there. But at first read, when I first sit down to prepare these sermons from Ephesians, my head is spinning. And so I usually reach out to my elder and I reach out to others to pray for me. If you want to pray for me during this series, I would greatly accept that. So the cross in the church, God's means of victory over the enemy. The cross in the church, God's means of victory over the enemy. Today's format is going to be similar to what we did when we were going through the, the book in Acts. We haven't done that mostly through Ephesians. Exegesis. Remember that word. Exegesis. It means you take the passage, you go verse by verse. You give the interpretation of the verse. You make commentary on the verse. Then you bring about a conclusion and an application. That's how we're going to approach this passage today. So let's roll up our sleeves. You with me? Let's roll up our sleeves and let's dig right in here. We may be, we may be perspiring by the end of this one. We may be working hard on this one. So Ephesians 3.1. When I think of all this, I, Paul a prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the benefit of you Gentiles. Pause. For the benefit of you Gentiles. It could read, on behalf of you Gentiles. In your best interest, Gentiles. Paul is continuing the thought from last week's passage. He's keeping the focus on Gentiles. You're either Jewish or you're Gentile by ancestry. He's emphasizing the Gentile nations of the first century. His ministry to the Gentiles. Right now, it's all about the Gentiles, the non-Jews. Ephesians 3, 2, and 7 and 8 carry the same thought. We lumped them together. Assuming, by the way, that you know God gave me special responsibility of extending his grace to you Gentiles. By God's grace and mighty power, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. First thing I have to say, it's actually not even in my notes. Do you realize, church, it's a great privilege from the Lord to tell others about Jesus? So many of us see it as a duty. It's a great privilege to tell other people about Jesus. So assuming, Paul's assuming something, by the way. Assuming that you Ephesians, you know that God gave me special responsibility bringing his grace to the Gentiles. He assumed that they realized this because he spent three years with them. He taught at Ephesus, evangelized at Ephesus for three years. But just in case we don't know, he's assuming the Ephesians knew and the other churches in that area that would receive the letter but just in case we don't know, we're going to digress for a moment. Now, Paul was not the only apostle that ever told Gentiles about Jesus. Remember Acts chapter 10. As Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles. They heard them speaking in other tongues and praising God. And then Peter asked, can anyone object to their, the Gentiles, being baptized now that they have received the Holy Spirit just as we did? God was doing a new thing in the world. And it's an amazing thing. 
And we're going to look at it as we move through here. It's an amazing thing. Hopefully we're going to learn something today. This is the account of Cornelius. He was a Roman military commander. He was a God-fearing Gentile, not Jewish, Gentile. God used Peter to reach Cornelius and his household with the gospel of Jesus. They were saved, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they were baptized into Christ. The full gospel came to the Gentiles. A full salvation, so full and so free. Oh, boundless salvation, so full and so free, came to the Gentiles. However, the relevant thing for us here is this, in our context. Although God used him in this, God used Peter in this to tell this Gentile and his entire household about Jesus, Peter's primary ministry was not to the Gentiles, it was to the Jews. We saw that in Acts. It was to the church in Jerusalem, not to the Gentiles. Why? Because that was Paul's ministry, primarily Paul's ministry. Back to our text, Ephesians 2, 7, 2 and 7 and 8. Assuming, by the way, that you know God gave me the special responsibility, extending his grace to the Gentiles, by God's grace and mighty power, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. Unlike Peter, Paul was specifically called to the Gentiles. He was given a specific ministry and emphasis and focus on the Gentiles. He was called to those Gentile nations of the first century, we read extensively about that in Acts, his three missionary journeys and what he faced, taking the gospel to the Gentiles. Paul was given the privilege of, the primary mission of, telling Gentiles about the endless treasures available now, now to them in Christ. We read all about that in Ephesians chapter 1. The spiritual blessings that are available to us by our position in Christ. Some of it was mind-blowing, Right? Some of those blessings, some of the stuff that's available to us, the incredible hope, the riches of our inheritance, the tremendous power that is within us, the fullness of the Godhead deity dwells in us. That's mind-blowing stuff. And that's all now available to the Gentiles, which means that's available to you. That's available to me. And what God is challenging the church in these days is learn to walk in this. We've lived at much too low of a state for too long. And we seem to say this week after week, but if you don't believe me, just look at our world. Who's winning the battle right now? And who should be winning the battle right now? And we will win the battle. Got a word from the Lord that there's fierce battle going on, fierce spiritual warfare going on over America at this time. But God said he released a fierce anointing upon the church to win that battle. It's up to us to believe it and walk in it. Again, in case we didn't know, I just want to give some very quick scriptural support for this fact that Paul was called to the Gentiles. And it is necessary that we're convinced of that to proceed in the sermon. Acts 9.15, the Lord said, go, for Saul, who became Paul, is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles. This was a word to Ananias, a servant of the Lord. When, he, when God sent Ananias to restore Paul's sight, baptize Paul, and prophesy to Paul his future ministry. He's to take my message to the Gentiles. Acts 13.47 and 48. For the Lord gave us this command when he said, I have made you a light to the Gentiles to bring salvation to the farthest corners of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they were very glad. Are you very glad? You could have been excluded from this. We could have been excluded from this. Except that God's heart is for all people, the whole human family. And I said this last week, and I, I want to say it again because it's so rich. God expressed his love for the entire human family through Christ on the cross. Every race, every culture, on and on. And it takes every race, every culture to express 
who God is to the world. Because God will not be limited to one race or one culture. It won't do him justice. I get the chills when I say that. The us that Paul is referring to are he and his companions. Again, we saw that in Acts. Next slide. I'm sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. I have noticed something that we did not set out. It was not intentional. Satan has been coming up. The enemy, powers and principalities and such, have been coming up in every sermon in Ephesians. It's almost like you can't get away from it. And somebody told me today, here they said, Everywhere I turn, it's like they're talking about spiritual warfare in Christian circles. And in the Christian camp, the hot topic right now is spiritual warfare. I don't have this word from the Lord, but I believe we're in a series of, we're in a season of spiritual warfare as the church, whether we like it or not. Paul was to. Turn them from Satan to God. Then they will receive forgiveness for their sins. They will be given a place among God's people who are set apart by faith in me. Let's start with given a place among God's people. The Gentiles were to be given a place among God's people, a common salvation. A common salvation for Jews and Gentiles alike, which takes in every people group in the world. You're either Jewish or you're Gentile. In Christ, Gentiles being brought into salvation. Now, we have to understand the context. Gentiles being brought into salvation was very distasteful to both the Jews and the Gentiles. Following? Neither group would desire the other group to be a part of their salvation. They hated each other. Only in Christ. We can't quite grasp what Christ did on the cross to reconcile these two groups and make one new man the Christian. Remember how the Jews tried to kill Paul for including the Gentiles in their salvation? Remember how the Gentiles tried to kill Paul for being a Jew and thinking he was bringing their religion and customs onto them? They hated each other. As we know, that's what sin does to the human race. Hate does not come from the kingdom of light. Hate comes from the kingdom of darkness. Might not be a demon there stirring it up, but it comes from the demonic kingdom. Paul's call, Paul's mission, and his ministry to the Gentiles was not exactly an enviable one. When I hear us and I say it too, boy, I would really like to, to be like the Apostle Paul. You got to check that. I would love to have his power. I would love to know Christ like he knew Christ. But the persecution and the things that he faced, not so much. Here's the rub. I think the two go hand in hand. I'm not sure you can have one without the other. In any event, it's fairly conclusive in Scripture Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. He was given a call and he was given a ministry to tell Gentiles about Jesus. And because of that, we needed to know that to move to this next place. Because he was the apostle to the Gentiles, he was given special revelation. Paul was given special revelation related to the Gentiles and related to God's plan for them. Previously unknown, which we'll see, previously unknown revelation was given to Paul to fulfill his ministry. You still interested? Should we go further? Ephesians 3, 3, 3, 3 through 5. As I briefly wrote earlier, God himself revealed his mysterious plan to me. As you read what I have written you will understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ. God did not reveal it to previous generations, but now, by his Spirit, he has revealed it to his holy apostles 
and prophets. Okay, what, what do we got here? If you're ever studying a passage of Scripture and you kind of want to know what the theme is, look for a repeated word. Often it's found in the repeated word. Here we have revealed, used three times, and insight, which comes from Revelation, once. So the theme here is revelation from God. God himself revealed. God made known. God gave insight. God gave understanding into his, into his, meaning God's, into God's mysterious plan to me of how the Gentiles were going to be brought into this and God's heart for the entire human race. The information Paul has been giving us in Ephesians regarding God's plan, regarding God's intention for Gentiles to come to him, came through revelation by the Holy Spirit to Paul. He did not come up with it on his own. There was no other way he could know it. Nobody could figure this out. And there's a reason, which we're going to get into as we proceed, there's a reason nobody could figure it out. God kept it hidden for a reason, a specific reason. Your mind's probably like, oh, you're trying to figure this out, right? I hope so. I hope you're that interested that you're trying to figure this out. Now, most likely, some of the information that God gave Paul came through what we call illumination. Reading the Old Testament prophets, the Holy Spirit illuminated obscure text to show Paul what was being said. Some of it came that way. Most of it, much of it, came directly to Paul through the Holy Spirit, through Revelation, as Paul, if you read about him, spent a lot of time, years, with the Lord, was caught up into the heaven, into the third heaven, and saw things that were difficult to express. That's when God was giving him all this revelation to write 13 letters of the New Testament. This is information hidden from previous generations, meaning generations prior to the cross, generations prior to Christ, generations prior to the New Testament. Why hidden? Why hidden from previous generations? Was it because God just didn't want to do it till then? Was it because God's unfair and he was choosing some and not others? Except that it says God is perfect in all of his ways and he's no respecter of persons. Those two answers can't work. It's of course not. It was hidden until the right time. And that's a very important principle for us to grasp today. It was hidden until the right time. It was not yet the right time until it happened. It wasn't just because God didn't want to do it. But for reasons unknown to us, it was not possible to do it. Everything with God is according to proper timing. Timing is everything. How many scriptures at just the right time God sent his son into the world? When the fullness of time had come for the Gentiles to be brought in. And when it says just the right time, and when it says the fullness of time had come, it means that for every reason unknown to, or known to God, it was not possible to do it before then, or he would have. He's perfect in all of his ways. So when he did it, that was the perfect time. When he created, when he began the creation and he finished his creation, he looked and he said, it is good. That is so much more than English good. It means this is as best it could possibly be. It can't be any better than this. And everything God does, he does to that extent. So if it's in the fullness of time, according to him, it couldn't have been done in any better way. He's not unfair. He wasn't just choosing some over others. This is the way it had to be. And I think this is in my notes later, but I'll say it now because it came into my mind. Usually, the reason it has to be the way it has to be is because of us. Not because God wouldn't do it earlier, but because of us, because of our sin, because of our free will, because of our stubbornness. He can't do the things that he wants to do. He has to work around that. He has to work around man's free will. He has to work around sin. Thank God he does. And he doesn't give up. 
He goes to great lengths to bring about his good, perfect, and acceptable will in spite of us. God had to work hard. He had to work hard to get the world orchestrated to a place where he could bring the Savior on the scene. God had to work hard. God had to work hard to get the world orchestrated to the place where Gentile nations will be willing to receive the gospel. Tedious, meticulous working and planning on God's part. And then suddenly, it's time. Just a little illustration. Some of you were with us for Harp and Bowl series going way back. And from Revelation 5, 8, I think it is, we learned that there are bowls in heaven, and those bowls contain the prayers of the saints. And as we pray about a particular situation, circumstance, person, the bowl is getting more and more filled. And at just the right time, I guess when there's enough prayer, or however God bases that decision, the bowl is tipped. The answer comes hurtling to the earth. We see it and we're like, wow, God moved suddenly. But there were years and years maybe of tedious work and prayer to bring about that answer. And I love what Ron always says when he's praying for something and he, he won't give up. He says, I don't want to stop one prayer short of that bowl being filled and being tipped and receiving the answer. That, that's very good support for not giving up. If God has called you to pray for something, don't give up until it happens or till he releases you from it. So suddenly, it's time, and God works according to time, timing. Romans 5, 6, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time, and he died for us sinners. He couldn't have come any earlier. He couldn't have come any later. He came at just the right time. And by the way, you're alive today as a Christian for such a time as this. You shouldn't have been born earlier, and you shouldn't have been born later. God's perfect in all his ways. Titus 1.3. And now, at just the right time, he has revealed this message, which we announce to everyone, Jews and Gentiles. It is by the command of God our Savior that I have been entrusted with this work for him, taking the gospel to the Gentiles. Just at the right time, God had everything right for that to happen. This revelation and insight that God is giving Paul concerning salvation for the Gentiles had come to its fullness of time, had come to its right time. The first century was the right time for Christ, for the cross, for fullness of salvation to come for the Jews and the Gentiles, for the crucifixion, for the sacrifice. God planned and he worked it that way, according to his timing. And since he is perfect in all of his ways, it not only was the best way, it had to be the only way, or he would have done it some other way. Paul was not only given the call to ministry to the Gentiles, but the revelation from God into this mystery. Mystery is mentioned quite a bit in Ephesians and Colossians. He's given revelation and insight into this mystery and everything else that he would need to pull off his ministry to the Gentiles. God gave Paul incredible insight into his plans. That's one of the reasons Paul had to suffer so much. Remember in, in 2 Corinthians 12, he says he was, he was given a, a thorn in his side, a, a messenger from Satan meant to buffet him and torment him. And he says, so that I wouldn't become overwhelmingly proud. Because the level of revelation and insight that he got would drive a man to get proud. But God said, because he begged the Lord to take it away three times, and God said, no, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. You need this if you're going to continue on this ministry, or you're going to get shipwrecked by pride. So next time you're feeling that thorn, that buffeting from a messenger of Satan, before you rebuke it, ask God what's going on. Just double check. There are times we rebuke, I know. But just make sure. 
God gave Paul incredible insight into his plans moving forward in the afterglow of the cross. Incredible insight into how everything that had gone before the cross fits into the plan of the cross. This is what we've been covering recently with our historical perspective and going back into Genesis 3 and then back into Genesis 12 and tracing all that, the forming of the nation Israel. God gave Paul all that revelation to pass on to us, the historical perspective. Abraham, the formation of the nation, the Gentile nations and what they were doing at that time. They were standing against God when God was trying to bring his plan of salvation into the world. The first century was just the right time for Christ, the cross, the crucifixion, the sacrifice, and for the fullness of salvation to come for Jews and Gentiles, for the church to be birthed into existence. Ephesians 3, 6 through 9. This is God's plan. Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body. Both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. This is the plan. This is the mystery that was hidden from previous generations until the time was right. Post-Christ, post-cross, post-sacrifice. Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news now share equally common salvation, the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body, one new man, the Christian. And both enjoy the promise of the blessing. Awesome, right? Praise the wisdom, the power of our God to make these things happen. It says angels long to look into these things to understand what God's doing. But see, it's been hidden. And there's a reason it's been hidden. So most of this related to the cross. And the title is The Cross and the Switchblade. It's the cross and the church. It's the cross and the church. So we're going to probably still talk a little bit about the cross, but we're going to end with, with firmly emphasizing the church. Ephesians 3.10. We're, we're still in this passage in Ephesians. It was 1 to 13. God's purpose in all this. Oh, you mean God actually had a purpose in this? He wasn't just randomly acting and kind of on a whim? No? What do you think? God never acts randomly or on a whim. Hopefully you've learned that by now. God's purpose in all this was to use the church. Oh, now we're getting into us guys. We're involved in this thing. God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom. I get the chills when I read that. To use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to who? To all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Dog, they always got to get in there, don't they? They're not going away. And by the time we get to Ephesians 6, we're going to see them a lot more clearly. Ephesians 6 is the cl a classic New Testament chapter on spiritual warfare. So there's a purpose in all this. It involves the church. It's all about redeeming the human family that was lost back in Genesis 3, lost souls coming to Jesus. It's all about that, but it's actually larger than that. It is all about that, but it's larger than that. Again, unfortunately, enter Satan into the biblical account. He was in Genesis 3. He's in all the way through to Revelation 20. You can find at least veiled references to him in almost every book of the Bible, even Job. I don't like talking about him, but I know Scripture says you can't be ignorant of his schemes or you will fall prey to his schemes. But the rulers of this world have not understood it. If they had, they would have crucified our glorious Lord. Satan could not understand this plan of God to bring salvation. He knew something was up in Genesis 3 when he received the consequences of leading Adam and Eve into sin. He knew something was up with God choosing Abraham and forming the nation Israel. 
But he couldn't understand because God is so much greater than Satan. Thank God is so much greater than Satan. I was preaching one time very early on. We were still in the school. And I mentioned Satan. And some biker dude in the back pew raised his hand. He said, I know Satan. He's God's evil twin brother. Had to do some teaching at that point. <laughs> Satan's a created being. God brought him in with the word and he'll take him out with the word. Satan could not understand this plan of God, this mystery that was hidden from other generations until after the cross. See, because if he could have, think about it, if Satan could have understood it, he would not have crucified Jesus. Doesn't that make sense? He would not have crucified Jesus on the cross because that ensured his demise. So God kept it hidden from everybody, including his angels. Can you imagine Satan's horror when he finally realized what he had done as the plan and the mystery now was unfolding? He put the final nail in his coffin. Remember, Satan won a great victory over man in the garden through leading him into sin and away from God. God immediately informed Satan that he had a plan and he had a remedy to overcome Satan's victory. But he didn't tell him any of the details. Brilliant, right? Make him guess. Well, we're reading about the details in Ephesians. Those are the details of the plan that was announced in Genesis 3. Through the cross, through the church, God has turned the tables on Satan. In this age, which is actually referred to as the church age, from somewhere around the Ascension or Pentecost or right around that area, from there to the rapture, we're in the church age. God has his incredible wisdom on display now in the spiritual realm to the rulers and principalities and Satan's kingdoms. His incredible wisdom of how he overcame Satan is on display. It's through the cross and it's through his church. Great place for some amen and some applause. <laughs> Smattering of applause there. God, that was, I don't know. You're going to have to do some work here, Lord. You know. I'm going to say that again, though. <laughs> Just in case you were sleeping. God has his incredible wisdom on display right now to the rulers and the principalities and the authorities of the dark realm in the unseen world through the cross and through the church of Christ. Amen. <laughs> Just in case you're very new, who are the unseen rulers and authorities? It's Satan and it's the demonic evil rulers and principalities in the spiritual realm. If you want to know more about them, check out Ephesians chapter 6 or go back into Daniel 9 and 10. Glimpses into this. Here's the thing. Satan and these demonic evil rulers, they see it now. God's revealed it. They see it. They don't like it. They fight against it. But they cannot stand against it. Their demise is sure. Matthew 16, 18, now I say to you, and this is Jesus, I will build my church. First comes the cross, then comes the church. Now I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. God's glorious plan to defeat Satan, prophesied back in Genesis 3, is right now in full operation on the earth. Through the cross, which has occurred, and the church, which is ongoing. Declaring the kingdom of darkness, death blows. The cross and the church dealing the kingdom of darkness, death blows. Remember Jesus told the returning disciples, hey, when you were out there ministering as my church, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Are we, hmm, are we seeing that? 
So Satan and his demonic forces now know this. They have known it since probably Pentecost. No wonder he's retaliating with such fury in the world. Right? Ephesians 3.10 is key to this passage. See, this was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. Death on the cross, pay for the sins of man, redeem the human family back to God, form the church which is going to be able to legislate and enforce God's will on the earth despite Satan and his kingdom. This was the plan of God that was hidden from previous generations prior to the crucifixion, but it was revealed to Paul. It was revealed to other apostles. It was revealed to the New Testament church, of which we are a part. When you think of the New Testament church, you tend to think of the letters of Paul to those churches. No, they are the New Testament church, the first century, but we are also the New Testament church. We haven't been raptured yet. We're in the church age, and everything that was true for them is true for us. We still live in the church age. Don't let anybody tell you different. Some people will try to, and you're going to have to know Scripture to refute that. But don't let anybody tell you different. We still live in the church age. Everything available to them is available to us. We still have the fullness of the Holy Spirit. He wasn't taken out of the way yet to let the Antichrist be revealed. And there's the other thing. I say it time and time again. You don't have to be looking for the Antichrist. We're going to be gone before he's revealed. We're never told to look for the Antichrist. We're told to look for Christ. Spending a lot of wasted energy, time, and maybe even money to try to figure out who the Antichrist is. He may be on the scene. He may not be. But it doesn't matter. We'll be out of here before he's revealed. Colossians 2.15, in this way, this, according to this plan, in the fullness of time, Christ's cross, Christ's church, in this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. Don't you get chills when you read that? He disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly, publicly in the spiritual realm, by his victory over them on the cross. No wonder he's so full of fury. You think, why can't he see this? Do you know why he can't see any of this? Because of his hatred and his rage. He's consumed by hatred and rage. And just maybe a bring home point. When you allow yourself to be consumed by anger, hatred, rage, you lose your sense of understanding. You lose your sense of rational thinking. And you act out of hate and rage, and anger. That's why we're told so often, don't be angry. If you do get angry, be angry, but don't sin. You lose your ability to think rationally. (laughs) I don't know if I should tell this story in here or not. About one of my sons. A couple of our kids were on the, I guess it was the debating team or something. A couple of the kids were on the debating team, but one of our sons was not. And the reason he wasn't, when I asked him, he said, why don't you want to get in there? His answer was an expletive, which I'm not going to say, but he said, because is not an acceptable answer. Okay. In other words, he allowed himself to be controlled by his anger and his rage and all that, and he couldn't think rationally and debate. He'd have a response that was not so good to it. Are you with me? Uh, Move on. (laughs) Jesus defeated the devil at the cross. He continues to defeat him through the church. I'm going to say that again because I didn't hear a response. Jesus defeated the devil at the cross. He continues to defeat him through the church. Do you realize that? Do you realize that we're not just called into this nicey-nice worship and word and we're Christians and fellowship and it's all great, but we can do all that in heaven. We're called here to enforce the will of God on earth, to overcome the kingdom of darkness. That's why we're here. (laughs) Oh, well, it might get tough, Pastor. 
I can assure you it's going to get tough. Maybe not as tough as the Apostle Paul's life. Hopefully not. But it is going to be tough. It's battle. It's warfare. It's conflict. It has been since Genesis 3. So much that we could say here. So much we could say about spiritual warfare, but Paul doesn't. He leaves it this, so we will too. We are going to talk more about spiritual warfare in Ephesians chapter 6, and I'm not even sure what we're going to say. You look at the surface, on the surface of that chapter, and you're like, <laughs> not even sure where we're going to go with that. But we will have to cover it someday. But not today. That's all we're saying about spiritual warfare. For now, we're going to be content with what we've learned. So conclusion. How do we even apply this, what we've just learned? Jesus defeated the devil at the cross. He's continued to defeat him through his church. I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. How do we even apply this? I have an idea, but I'm not really sure. I didn't want to go too long because I just want to hear if you have any ideas. How do we apply a message like this? Carol? Good and loud. Thank you. Anybody else have thought? How, how are you going to apply what you've heard today? Good and loud, Regina. Not going to belabor the point, just if you had a thought, I'd like to know it. Deb? Good and loud. Ray? Loud? Thank you, Ray. Corporate effort, I heard in that. Corporate effort. I just had one thing that kind of sums up everything you said, and it's a verse, of course. So humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And then 1 Peter 5, 8, and 9 says, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him. Be strong in your faith. So what I would say, and thank you for those answers, is in Christ, now that we know this stuff, take your stand. Take your stand against the devil. Take your stand against evil. Whatever that stand is going to look like, take your stand and be victorious as the church because Jesus said, we are. Okay, good enough. The cross in the church, God's means of victory over the enemy for believers. Regina, will you come and pray? The rest of us will stand, and you know the drill. Sonny, bring the band up.
right into the mic so it picks it up and wait till everybody's settled and then begin. Don't pray over the distractions. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for Pastor Hub and his message today. Let it take seed. Let us know that we have all the strength through your word and to know that we can face anything with you. We have the strength to impose on those that are suffering and that may be lost, may be hurting, may be distracted. Let us be that light. Let us be a hope and encouragement and a strength to follow through as a church. Let us always be mindful of the ones who attend and the ones that aren't here, whether illness or travel. Always let us be united. Let us remember why we come. Yes, praise and worship is so wonderful, but the word is what we really need to strengthen us week after week let it just take seed, hopefully, that in our paths, in our everyday lives, we face challenges, obstacles. We can be easily distracted, but let us always be mindful to go back to the word, to stop, to pause, to not be distracted by all the great technology and the commotion that is going on. Let us not forget Israel, as there is pain and suffering as we know all too well by the news media. Let us hopefully be able to impress those in our communities, our neighborhoods. Let us be neighborly above all. Love shines over hate. And in the Bible, hate is the same as murder. So let us remember that when we come across things that aren't always at making us smile. Let us keep that in prayer. Let's lift those that are suffering in prayer, ones we know and ones unknown. Let any sickness or illness in this building or others in our lives, family members, take that to prayer and let your Holy Spirit bring forth healing and restoration, but furthermore, rest in you that no matter what the plan is, that it is good. I thank you, Father, for this church family and everyone here. I pray as we depart today that you will safely let everyone go on about their day and their week. In Jesus' name, amen.